Welcome to the Extra Point Podcast. Extra Point is part of the preaching ministry of Moberly Baptist Church in East Texas. Extra Point provides helpful follow-up to Sunday's message. Specifically, Extra Point allows us to discuss some of the extra points from the message that we didn't have time to fully discuss on Sunday, and even answer questions from the listening audience. If you have questions you'd like to submit, you can go to extrapoint at moberly.org. I'm Paul Coleman, the teaching pastor at Moberly, and today I'm joined by Jeffrey Davis, who serves as our Marshall Campus Pastor. Jeffrey, welcome this morning. Let's get started. Hey, Paul. Glad to be here. So I know we like to discuss a little bit of Sunday's message, uh, which, you know, the series right now is entitled Above Every Other, um, which is a really cool name. I love how it communicates that God is just something totally different and uh, something different than what we even think about on our day-to-day basis. Um, But uh, we're in the series, and it's the emphasis on really getting to know God in a personal way and uh, the fact that He has revealed Himself and all the facets of His character through His names. So tell us about, just briefly yesterday uh, and on uh, this last message about the two names you taught in Sunday's message. Yesterday we followed up with uh, the two basic names that I taught the previous Sunday, which was Elohim and Yahweh, and I talked about what those names mean. And so as I said, each of the next few weeks we're going to talk about compounds of those names. So yesterday we talked about El, which is or El Elyon, El being Elohim and then Elyon being Together, they mean the most high God. Above high is literally what it means. So I love that description because it gives you a great picture of as high as you can go, God's still higher than that. Mm-hmm. And then Yahweh Shalom, which is God is peace. And so those are the two names that we talked about yesterday. And uh, just to give a basic understanding of of where we were going. It's, I love it. I love it. There's a, a really cool thing that you mentioned on Sunday about how these names that you're choosing, not always, but sometimes they really work together and complement one another. And I think we'll see that even as we go a little bit deeper here in the podcast about how these uh, two names that you've chosen don't necessarily show up in the same passage in the Old Testament, but they really do throughout the Scripture complement one another. Um, But yeah, I love that idea that God is supreme and above everything. He's also very personal, and uh, uh, that's been a really cool thing for me to see here through this message. You suggested that people would find a way uh, to visually, graphically record these names of God as they're taking notes, as they're you know maybe putting them up around their house or whatever, and the meanings of those names, so that they can get a better idea on a day-to-day basis about all the facets of God's character. So, talk a little bit more about how families or individuals could benefit from actually putting this stuff on paper or making some kind of graphic representation of it. Journaling is obviously very important. In my life, I think about all the things that I've written down. Part of the way I meditate on things is to write them down, and, and I'll I'll draw arrows or scribbles or sometimes, because I kind of like to draw in any way, I'll just graphically mess around with it to where it makes sense to me visually. And then usually once I do that, I have that picture in my mind. And the great thing about writing all these names down is some of them are probably familiar. Shalom yesterday, Yahweh Shalom may be a familiar mm-hmm. name or word. Some of these we're going to talk about are probably completely unfamiliar. And so to write them down is just a visual way uh, to help remember them, but also to record them so that as you sit down to pray, when you go to spend time alone with the Lord, you have a document in front of you or a picture in front of you that helps you remember without having to look up all the different verses, just a concise way to see here's what here's the God that I'm praying to. Here mm-hmm. is who God is. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I think about that, if... If my parents 
and all the things that they displayed in our home, if they would have displayed the names of God, I wonder what impact that would have had if they'd have talked to me about those things. And I'm not criticizing them. I'm just saying it's an opportunity for parents to really show their kids in, in some great detail and you know who, who God is so that their kids grow up with these biblical ideas of who God is. Mm. He's not harsh. He's not just judging. He's not just having wrath for people. But he's also providing for our family. He's also meeting us right where we are. Yes, he's great and amazing and above every other, but he's also very personal, like you said a minute ago. So to write those things down not only helps us individually, but can help set a legacy for our families that can go on in the future, obviously. So I know you have some ideas probably about that, too. I do. Um, And let me throw you a little curveball real quick. Uh, Why is it important, or is it important, for families... uh, to, to think about the names of God in Hebrew. Is it should they be writing them down in Hebrew, like we talk about El Elyon or you know Yahweh Shalom? Uh, or is that maybe something that is not as important? The, just main the main thing is maybe to get the point across about what those mean. Well what I like about that is if you're going to become a student of the Bible, then you and most people that are listening to this probably already are or desire to be, then like I said a couple of weeks ago, when you read it in English, you're going to see the name God or the title God or the Lord God, but that's about as much detail as the English translation gives you. And so it's easy just to, I think about my own self growing up and and reading the Bible some to think about, okay, I thought of God just as a general deity that was off somewhere very far removed from me. So knowing the names of God, now what I do when I read I try to go back and if I'm not sure what which name is being used in the English, I'll go back and look it up. Okay. Use one of those tools we talked about last week, and then I'll I'll just use the Hebrew name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even though I'm not Hebrew and I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it exactly yeah, right, 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 right. But it helps me go. Okay, that name is means this. This name means this, and I see that they're intentionally used in the Bible, and it's it, to me it brings greater clarity to it, greater meaning. God's trying specifically to communicate this particular part of His character in this particular passage, and that's really meaningful to me. It's cool. I, I thought about that because as a, a parent of a young kid, my first reaction was, how am I supposed to communicate these things? It's a totally different language. It's something, you know, it's ancient. How, how are my kids going to understand? How can I help them? Well, then yesterday we're in the car taking a little drive around town. Uh, and uh, it's a Sunday afternoon, you know. Uh, of course, we're, by the time this comes out, it'll be a few days ago. But uh, Sunday afternoon drive, nice sunny day. And uh, my four-year-old says, he just starts repeating El Elyon in the car. Oh, wow. Well, on Sunday during worship, he was playing Legos the whole time, in the same room with us, but just playing with his Legos quietly, and uh, uh, which is rare. It's usually loudly. So then my wife says, well, do you remember what El Elyon means? And he says, God Most High. The, the guy was listening, you know, That's he it. was taking it in. And so, and then we started asking him more questions and he had this real comprehension based wow. on just listening to the sermon on Sunday. And that was a really cool moment for us. And I thought, wow, my my four-year-old knows Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that great. But, uh, uh, but there are really cool things you can do with your family, like talking in the car, making those moments. We used to call them God sightings. You know, when we talked about merge, combining the influence of church and home, is making sure you're thinking as a parent about what are those opportunities to talk about God in your daily life. Um, I had an idea though. We we're talking about writing down the names of God and uh, uh, talking about you know getting them on paper and, and and then making a visual representation. Well, uh, one idea that a family could use even today is to go and write down the names that we have gone over. Right, so Elohim, Yahweh, 
uh, El Elyon and um, and Yahweh Shalom, and maybe write the meaning of that name and a corresponding Bible verse, and put them each on a card. And you can actually, as we go week to week, you can build a deck of cards uh, that each have a name. Put them on your kitchen table. And then when you go to sit down for a meal, you can really focus your mealtime prayers. A lot of times we just say, thank you, God, for our food. And God is our provider. And that's one of the facets of his character. But what if you pulled out a card one night and it said, El Elyon, God Most High, and you just said a prayer of praise to the God Most High as you began your mealtime and just to build the different facets of God's character into the life uh, rhythm of your family. I think that'd be really fun. That's an excellent idea. I love that. And actually, when I thought about this idea of a visual representation, I thought of your wife because she's an artist. Yeah. (laughs) And I thought she'll probably take this and run with it. I know she did something with scripture several years ago, you know, related to using her art and things. So it is amazing how much kids can absorb and are, you know, we think sometimes they're not paying attention and they're, they're learning all the time. And that's amazing. That's a perfect example of what I was talking about. Your son grasping that. And now that, that becomes, at four years old, that becomes part of his understanding of God. And you'll reinforce that a hundred times between uh-huh. now and the time he leaves uh-huh. your house. But, but that's great. He'll leave with a correct understanding of who yeah. God is. That's powerful. Do you remember how old you were when you first started understanding, wow, God is bigger than I thought, or God is more interesting, or there's more facets to his character? Yeah, for me, it was not until I was a teenager. I literally never thought about God in any kind of detail. I thought he was mad at me before mm. I knew the Lord. That's about all I thought is that he cannot possibly be happy with my life, the way I'm living my life. And then when I met Jesus, I was a teenager, 15, almost 16. And then that's when I really began to even read the Bible and begin to understand that he wasn't just a just a blob in the sky somewhere. Yeah. He actually had a personality and wow. all kinds of characteristics that I didn't know anything about. And that's yeah. when I began to be drawn to him was when I started to know him. So yeah. I have a passion for that, obviously, you know. That's cool. That's cool. There's always material you don't get to in a sermon. And and I know every preacher's challenge is to fit everything they're studying and what they believe God wants to share with the, with his people into 30 minutes uh, or less. And so uh, what what's something that's like literally an extra point that you might want to bring across uh, in this format? Well, I use several different passages of Scripture. And, you know, I talked about the book of Daniel. Daniel is an excellent study to think about the Most High God. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. For all intents and purposes, he was the most powerful man in the world. He had gone to Jerusalem and taken most of the Israelites away from their home country and from Jerusalem and destroyed things and conquered them and taken them back to Babylon, given them different names, taught them a different language. He was trying to change them. And obviously Israel had this huge reputation of being powerful and because God was with them and they were God's chosen people, People, other nations were afraid of Israel, but also the people of God rebelled against God. So there were, you know, this captivity was part of his judgment on them, part of his discipline in their life. So in, in Daniel chapter 3, we all know the story, and I mentioned it on Sunday about the fiery furnace. We hear that as a child, you know, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace, and they were. But I didn't talk about yesterday what they said to Nebuchadnezzar. It's one of the most bold statements. I love it. Uh, you see it from them, you see it from Daniel, you see it later in Scripture and other places. But there's this passage in chapter 3, I think it's verse 16 and 17, where Nebuchadnezzar basically is going to give him a second chance to bow down to his golden image because mm. they've, def- they've defied him and they won't bow down when they hear the music start, which is what they're supposed to do. And so um, 
he says, I'm going to give you basically a second chance. And, and, he, and he says this to him, and who is the God, small g, who can rescue you from my power? <laughs> well, imagine the arrogance <laughs> of that. And he thought he was the king of the world. Mm-hmm. He thought there was no one higher, more powerful, with more authority than him. And listen to what they said. They said, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. And they used the name Elohim. They said, if Elohim, which is God is powerful, supreme, and sovereign, if he exists, uh, then he can rescue us from the blazing furnace, and he can rescue us from the power of you, king. <laughs> mm. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know we will not serve your God, small g, or worship the gold statue that you set up. So I love that because even though they don't call God, they don't use the name El Elyon here, Most High, they're living out their belief that he is because they're right. saying you're the most powerful person in the world, but you're under God. Yep. You only have the power God gives you. So we serve him. We're really not afraid of you. Even if you take our lives, yeah. you can have our lives. We're serving him. So if he wants us to die now, we'll die now. That's fine. We're going to serve and follow him. And I love that. And then what happens is, you know, God rescues them. They don't even get singed or burned or whatever. And then I talked about this in the message, but... Then Nebuchadnezzar sees that God is actually greater than him. He knows he can't, he can't stop a fire from burning a man. He doesn't have that kind of power. So he sees the power of God, and he calls God El Elyon, most high, higher than me, higher than the greatest authority in the world at that time. And so you go on and you think about that same idea. I think of Peter in Acts 4 when he had healed the man. They brought him before the chief priest and the uh, religious leaders, and they told them and never to speak in Jesus' name again. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's going to... And these are the same guys who crucified Jesus. And he says, look, you'll have to decide. That's Acts 4, 19. He says, you guys decide whether it's right or not, but we're not going to stop talking about what Jesus has done for us. Because yeah. basically what we understand is that you're just little men, and God is higher than you. I yeah. love that. It reinforces what I talked about from Psalm 2, where it says the Lord laughs. He looks down at the nations who plot against God, and they he kind of laughs at them. I imagine God just going... <laughs> What are you doing? Yeah. And then Isaiah 40, where he talks about the men are grasshoppers. I love that because you think about our power compared to a grasshopper, and you think about <laughs> yeah. God's power compared to people or nations or judges or rulers or kings or whatever, and you just you go, wow, it's a, it's a comparison of a grasshopper to a human being, you know, compared to God. I love that. It yeah. just visually helps me go, why would I ever be afraid of a man ever when yeah. I serve the Most High God? That's right. So. I, I think love that. it's really cool just hearing you teach over the years. And one of the things that, that comes out is, you know, talking about Peter, who's really, they're getting out and sharing the gospel. And one of the things I hear you say a lot when you talk about sharing your faith is that there's no reason to be afraid of anything. And uh, without even going into the context of God is the most high, you're talking about, hey, we have a confidence, a godly, bold confidence uh, to approach anybody with the good news of Jesus. And uh, so I think it's cool seeing Peter live that out and then uh, in Daniel, that story too. But yeah. What are some other ways you see uh, El- Elion communicated through Scripture? Well, you guys know as you read the Bible, you'll talk, we, 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 and there's several places. Psalm 91 is a psalm that I think is an excellent psalm to go through with your family and just talk about the Most High God because it, it's all about El Elyon, and it actually uses his name. But then it talks about because he's the Most High God, these things are true. So it's kind of cause and effect, and it's a great study. But there are other places in Scripture where it talks about being under the the shelter or the shadow of his wings. You know, Mm -hmm. Psalm 91 talks about that. And I love that image of thinking about God, you know, hovering over us. He hovers over all of creation. He sits, the Bible says, on his throne above above all creation. But I love that idea that 
so many times I get afraid of things or worried about things, and it's because I've taken my eyes off the Most High. And there are other places, obviously, in Scripture that talk about that. And so it's just a great study. I would encourage you to to get your Bible out and maybe look up all the places that the name El Elyon is used. Because sometimes, like I talked about in Daniel, they don't use that name right there, but it's the same concept. Peter doesn't use that name in Acts 4, but it's he's living out that truth. But it's just helpful to see all the things specifically the Bible says about God Most High. And so a person could study that and get some great truth out of it. That's awesome. Well, let's transition to Yahweh Shalom. And, uh, you know, you said on uh, in the message that day that uh, shalom is one of those words that we hear a lot, and we don't really use it a lot in our church context, uh, but it's kind of been around in our culture. We sort of know where it comes from, and most of us generally know that it means peace or peace be with you or something like that. Um, but the fact that it's a name of God uh, is really interesting. Tell us more about uh, what you wanted to really bring out about Yahweh Shalom. It's interesting. I'd kind of forgotten where the name originated before I started doing the study and went back and looked at that passage in Judges. It's a great passage. Uh, you think about Judges chapter 6, <clears throat> excuse me, the whole context of the Israelites really are being disciplined, as I mentioned before, when they were exiled to Babylon. Well, this is another situation where God allowed this group of people called the Midianites to come in and terrorize them, essentially. Because they had rebelled against the Lord, God's people had rebelled against the Lord, and he's always faithful. He, the Bible says in Hebrews, he disciplines everyone he loves. Uh, no one becomes a child without receiving discipline. We know that in our own lives, with our own children. If you love a child, you're going to make sure that you discipline, not because you're wanting to hurt them, but because you want to train them. And so you see that what that's what's going on in Judges 6. But here's Gideon, and he's just, I just would describe him as the most average guy. And he even talks about himself that way. I'm from the I'm from the weakest part of the tribe of Manasseh, you know, I'm nobody. I'm the youngest in my family. It's like, why didn't you choose my older sibling? You know, they whatever, they're the firstborn, they're type A, they're whatever. And God calls him, the angel calls him a valiant warrior. And then I didn't talk about this in the message, but in Judges 6:13, uh, he calls him a valiant warrior. And this is this is what Gideon said. Gideon said, Please, my Lord, if the Lord's with us, here's his question, why has all this happened? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord's abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. So I thought that question right there, how many people over all the centuries of time have asked that question? They look around, I've done it. You look around at your circumstances and you say, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened? Why can't we grow crops without these people coming and destroying them? Why, why mm -hmm. do we have to hide in the caves and the mountains? Of course, we know the answer because we have hindsight. We can look back and see that God was actually, if you read the first part of Judges 6, that God was disciplining them. But that, that to me, they didn't have any peace. I mean, I love that God reveals himself as peace in the midst of the worst, absolute worst imaginable time in their lives. Not when things were prosperous and wonderful, no, it was the hardest times. Wow. I can't imagine somebody coming into Longview, Texas and destroying everything I had and chasing me and, and terrorizing me to the point that I couldn't have any peace at all. And then God coming to me and saying, I'm your peace. Just turn back to me. I'm your peace. You know. Wow. And so that is so powerful. But I love that because I have heard that question in ministry. I Probably the most commonly asked question when people go through trials, troubles, terrible things is if God loves me, 
Why is this happening to me? Mm-hmm. I prayed and asked him to take, why is, you know, whatever the situation is. And and so I love that scripture is that honest, that it actually addresses things like that. It doesn't shy away from those things. Because sometimes the things that we don't know, and I could never say this about somebody else. I heard, you know, I remember when the AIDS crisis started in the early 80s, and people were asking ministers all the time, is this God's judgment? Well, now I'm hearing people say that about the coronavirus. Is this God's judgment on the world? And And so people are always trying to figure that out. I don't know the answer to that specifically. Like I said, we have hindsight here to, to look back. They didn't understand at first that that the Midianites were sent to them to discipline them. They only understood that later. Yeah. So God comes to, to Gideon in this moment, and it's not the end of the story. It's a great story to continue to read about just faith and, and God saying, no, I want you to put your faith in me. If, if Gideon has the most high on his side, then he can have peace because he can conquer. I, I sent the Midianites to you to discipline you. I can certainly remove them from your uh, context and what's going on with you. So I just love that, that um, that God brings this revelation of his peace in the midst of the really the worst time. Yeah, so the answer to why for us as Christians uh, is always the word who, or the question yeah, who. And, that's right. and, and so God is there for us, uh, that Isaiah 26 uh, three passages uh, really pertinent. It's one of the life verses for our family. He keeps him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed or trusts in him. And uh, we have talked about Old Testament a lot, but anybody who's studying the Bible is going to see from beginning to end, it's not about us, it's all about God, and it's the one story that he's telling throughout the whole thing is really Jesus. It's the Savior of the world, the Messiah. So how do you see Jesus embodying these names of God? That's a great point, a great question. And maybe I should do a better job of tying that together. I probably need to work on that because as I think about that, Jesus is God. Jesus is God in the flesh. And so everything that's true about God in the Old Testament is true of Jesus. And, and so in Philippians 2, when the Lord says about Jesus that he's um, given him a name that is above every right. other name, yeah. that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So think about Jesus is the embodiment of El Elyon. He is the Most High. He wasn't treated as the Most High mm-hmm. when he was on earth. But even that passage in Philippians, 2, in Philippians 2 talks about that he did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. He's the Most High God, but he emptied himself of the privilege of being treated like that. He didn't empty himself of his power, authority, or, or dominion, but he emptied himself of the the right to be treated like that and became a servant. And then it says, therefore, God has given him a name that is above every name. Yeah. So he is our El Elyon. He is the most high. And that's why every knee. So think about that. Vladimir Putin, uh, the leader of China, I don't remember his name. Every ruler of the world right now and, and every ruler of the world that will live until Jesus comes back and every ruler that's ever lived in the past, every knee is going to mm-hmm. bow yep. to Jesus. They're all going to do what Nebuchadnezzar did in Daniel. They're all going to come to the realization that they were wrong if they didn't serve him, that he is the most high. And I love that because that means that every single person has a date in their future when whether they'll admit it now or not, they're going to bow their knee to the most high. Wow. They will see him as he is someday. They will either see him as their loving Lord welcoming them into heaven or as their judge who will punish them to eternal damnation, which is not good news. But the good news is that anyone who's alive now can still give their life to Jesus and avoid that. But I love that, that he is the most high. And then, you know, we talk about at Christmas often, we sing the song that comes from Isaiah 9, 6, where it talks about wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. Hmm. That's Jesus. A child will be born to us and we will call his name 
all these things, and the Prince of Peace. So Jesus is the only one that can can make us right with God. He's the only one that can actually give us peace with God. He can take away our sin and remove the penalty and the power of our sin, which allows us to then have peace with God, to not have any brokenness between our relationship with God, no barrier, no hindrance. That is so amazing to think about. I know I'm a sinful person. You know that about yourself. But because of the righteousness and the blood of Jesus Christ that's been covering my, that covers my sin, when I put my trust in Him, I now don't have that sin between me and God anymore. God doesn't look at me and go, you terrible, sinful person. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to because that sin's been covered by the blood of Jesus. So yeah. He becomes my peace to God. It's so interesting when you talk about Jesus, starting with Philippians 2, that He's the name above every name. Every, every One day, every knee will bow. But then also that He essentially uh, took our place at the lowest place uh, of all humanity uh, as sinners before God. He, he took all that on Himself, became the sacrifice for our sins, uh, in fact, doing the work of a priest uh, to, to kind of give sacrifice to God on behalf of the people's sins. He did that for us, and Hebrews talks about that. And something that came out in my study uh, of these names of God, El Elyon, and then even go back to Genesis 14 when we are introduced to El Elyon, uh, there's this name, Melchizedek. And at the very beginning of the Bible, he shows up in Genesis chapter 14, and then almost at the very end of the Bible in Hebrews, he shows up again, and the writer of Hebrews is talking about him in reference to Jesus and saying that like Melchizedek, who was a high priest, uh, Jesus is in fact our great high priest who makes sacrifice on our behalf to God, uh, the sacrifice being himself. And in Hebrews 7, this is so cool because it shows how these two names just happen to really complement each other throughout the scripture, El Elyon and Yahweh Shalom. Uh, Hebrews 7 says this, that uh, Melchizedek, uh, king of Salem, priest of God most high, and it kind of recounts the story of Genesis 14 about Abraham coming back from battle and meeting him and Melchizedek giving him a blessing. And then it says about Melchizedek, first, his name means king of righteousness, but then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. And so he's the priest of the most high God. His name literally means king of peace, and he's doing the bidding of the king of peace. It's so (laughs) cool to see that thread woven throughout the Bible. Uh, Paul, anything else you want to kind of add to this? I appreciate you drawing that out. That's something I hadn't even considered. And, you know, Salem means peace, Jerusalem, the city of peace. So I hadn't even thought about that, how God put those two things together because he was called the, the priest of the Most High, El Elyon, but his his name actually means you know priest of peace or king of peace, and and that's just a beautiful. So it just shows you, and those of you guys that are listening, as you study God's word, it complements. It constantly complements and and makes what you do know as you continue to study it richer and richer. It's just amazing. That's happened to me so many times as I study <laughs> the scripture over the years and go, wow, there's a connection between this and this, and it's just it just shows you that God when He inspired people to write the Bible that he was behind it all. He's the force behind all of the inspiration, and that's why it makes sense. That's why it's um, concise and yet consistent all the way through. And so uh, that's a beautiful thing. I'm glad you shared that this morning. Well, there's the fun thing about it is there's still more, and we don't have time to cover more, uh, but that's where we get to kind of hand the baton to the people who are studying the Bible on their own and to go, hey, this is not it. Uh, if you open your own Bible 
and begin doing your own study, I promise you will find more because there's things that we weren't able to even discuss today. And uh, that will uh, really benefit your own walk with the Lord. For those of you listening, remember, if you have questions or comments, you can send them via email to extrapoint at moberly.org. And we hope this podcast has been helpful for you, uh, whether you are just listening for your own personal study, whether you are a leader in our church, leading a connect group or a discipleship group. Uh, but we do hope that next time you'll join us for the Extra Point podcast or this coming Sunday online at moberly.org slash online or youtube.com slash communications. For more information, you can always go to our website, moberly.org.